chapter four of the house of the arrow by a e w mason this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four betty harlow jim frobisher reached dijon that night at an hour too late for any visit but at half-past nine on the next morning he turned with a thrill of excitement into the little street of charles robert this street was bordered upon one side throughout its length by a high garden wall above which great sycamores and chestnut trees rustled friendlily in the stir of wind towards the farther mouth of the street the wall was broken first by the end of a house with a florid observation window of the renaissance period which overhung the footway and again a little farther on by a pair of elaborate tall iron gates before these gates jim came to a standstill he gazed into the courtyard of the maison grenelle and as he gazed his excitement died away and he felt a trifle ashamed of it there seemed so little cause for excitement it was a hot quiet cloudless morning on the left-hand side of the court women servants were busy in front of a row of offices at the end jim caught glimpses of a chauffeur moving between a couple of cars in a garage and heard him whistling gaily as he moved on the right stretched the big house its steep slate roof marked out gaily with huge diamond patterns of bright yellow taking in the sunlight through all its open windows the hall door under the horizontal glass fan stood open one of the iron gates too was ajar even the sergeant de ville in his white trousers out in the small street here seemed to be sheltering from the sun in the shadow of the high wall rather than exercising any real vigilance it was impossible to believe with all this pleasant evidence of normal life that any threat was on that house or upon any of its inhabitants and indeed there is no threat jim reflected i have hanaud's word for it he pushed the gate open and crossed to the front door an old serving man informed him that mademoiselle harlow did not receive but he took jim's card nevertheless and knocked upon a door on the right of the big square hall as he knocked he opened the door and from his position in the hall jim looked right through a library to a window at the end and saw two figures silhouetted against the window a man and a girl the man was protesting rather extravagantly both in word and gesture to jim's britannic mind the girl laughing a clear ringing laugh with just a touch of cruelty at the man's protestations jim even caught a word or two of the protest spoken in french but with a curiously metallic accent i have been your slave too long the man cried and the girl became aware that the door was open and that the old man stood inside of it with a card upon a silver salver she came quickly forward and took the card jim heard a cry of pleasure and the girl came running out into the hall you she exclaimed her eyes shining i had no right to expect you so soon oh thank you and she gave him both her hands jim did not need her words to recognize in her the little girl of mr hazlitt's description little in actual height betty harlow certainly was not but she was such a slender trifle of a girl that the epithet seemed in place her hair was dark brown in color with a hint of copper where the light caught it parted on one side and very neatly dressed about her small head the broad forehead and oval face were of a clear pallor and made vivid the fresh scarlet of her lips 
and the large pupils of her grey eyes gave to her a look which was at once haunting and wistful as she held out her hands in a warm gratitude and seized his she seemed to him a creature of delicate flame and fragile as fair china she looked him over with one swift comprehensive glance and breathed a little sigh of relief i shall give you all my troubles to carry from now on she said with a smile to be sure that's what i am here for he answered but don't take me for anything very choice and particular betty laughed again and holding him by the sleeve drew him into the library monsieur spinoza she said presenting the stranger to jem he is from cataluna but he spends so much of his life in dijon that we claim him as a citizen the catalan bowed and showed a fine set of strong white teeth yes i have the honour to represent a great spanish firm of wine-growers we buy the wines here to mix with our better brands and we sell wine here to mix with their cheaper ones you mustn't give your trade secrets away to me jim replied shortly he disliked espinosa on sight as they say and he was at no very great pains to conceal his dislike espinosa was altogether too brilliant a personage he was a big broad-shouldered man with black shining hair and black shining eyes a florid complexion a curled moustache and gleaming rings upon his fingers mr frobisher has come from london to see me on quite different business betty interposed yes said the catalan a little defiantly as though he meant to hold his ground yes replied betty and she held out her hand to him espinosa raised it reluctantly to his lips and kissed it i shall see you when you return said betty and she walked to the door if i go away espinosa replied stubbornly it is not certain mademoiselle betty that i shall go and with a ceremonious bow to jim he walked out of the room but not so quickly but that betty glanced swiftly from one man to the other with keen comparing eyes and jim detected the glance she closed the door and turned back to jim with a friendly little grimace which somehow put him in a good humour he was being compared to another man to his advantage and however modest one may be such a comparison promotes a pleasant warmth more trouble miss harlow he said with a smile but this time the sort of trouble which you must expect for a good many years to come he moved towards her and they met at one of the two side windows which looked out upon the courtyard betty sat down in the window-seat i really ought to be grateful to him she said for he made me laugh and it seems to me ages since i laughed she looked out of the window and her eyes suddenly filled with tears oh don't please cried jim in a voice of trouble the smile trembled once more on betty's lips deliciously i won't she replied i was so glad to hear you laugh he continued after your unhappy telegram to my partner and before i told you my good news betty looked at him eagerly good news jim frobisher took once more from his long envelope the two letters which Wilbersky had sent to his firm and handed them to betty read them he said and notice the dates betty glanced at the handwriting from monsieur boris she cried and she settled down in the window-seat to study them in her short black frock with her slim legs in their black silk stockings extended and her feet crossed and her head and white neck bent over the sheets of wabersky's letters she looked to jim like a girl fresh from school 
she was quick enough however to appreciate the value of the letters of course i always knew that it was money that monsieur boris wanted she said and when my aunt's will was read and i found that everything had been left to me i made up my mind to consult you and make some arrangement for him there was no obligation upon you jim protested he wasn't really a relation at all he married mrs harlow's sister that's all oh, i know replied betty and she laughed he always objected to me because i would call him a monsieur boris instead of uncle but i meant to do something nevertheless only he gave me no time he bullied me first of all and i do hate being bullied don't you mr frobisher i do betty looked at the letters again that's when i snapped me the fingers at him i suppose she continued with a little gurgle of delight in the phrase afterwards he brought this horrible charge against me and to have suggested any arrangement would have been to plead guilty you were quite right it would indeed jim agreed cordially up to this moment a suspicion had been lurking at the back of jim frobisher's mind that this girl had been a trifle hard in her treatment of boris waberski he was a sponger a wastrel with no real claim upon her it was true on the other hand he had no means of livelihood and mrs harlow from whom betty drew her fortune had been content to endure and support him now however the suspicion was laid the little blemish upon the girl removed and by her own frankness then it is all over betty said handing back the letters to jim with a sigh of relief then she smiled ruefully but just for a little while i was really frightened she confessed you see i was sent for and questioned by the examining magistrate oh i wasn't frightened by the questions but by him the man i've no doubt it's his business to look severe but i couldn't help thinking that if anyone looked as terrifically severe as he did it must be because he hadn't any brains and wanted you not to know and people without brains are always dangerous aren't they yes that wasn't encouraging jim agreed then he forbade me to use a motor-car as if he expected me to run away and to crown everything when i came away from the palais de justice i met some friends outside who gave me a long list of people who had been condemned and only found to be innocent when it was too late jim stared at her the brutes he cried well we have all got friends like that betty returned philosophically mine however were particularly odious for they actually discussed as a reason of course why i should engage the very best advocate whether since mrs harlow had adopted me the charge couldn't be made one of matricide in which case there could be no pardon and i must go to the guillotine with a black veil over my head and naked feet she saw horror and indignation in jim frobisher's face and she reached out a hand to him yes malice in the provinces is apt to be a little blunt though and she lifted a slim foot in a shining slipper and contemplated it whimsically i don't imagine that given the circumstances i should be bothering my head much as to whether i was wearing my best shoes and stockings or none at all i never heard of so abominable a suggestion cried jim you can imagine at all events that i came home a little rattled continued betty and why i sent off that silly panicky telegram i would have recalled it when i rose to the surface again but it was then too late the telegram had 
she broke off abruptly with a little rise of inflection and a sharp indraw of her breath who is that she asked in a changed voice she had been speaking quietly and slowly with an almost humorous appreciation of the causes of her fear now her question was uttered quickly and anxiety was prominent in her voice <gasps> yes who is that she repeated a big heavily built man sauntering past the great iron gates had suddenly whipped into the courtyard a fraction of a second before he was an idler strolling along the path now he was already disappearing under the big glass fan of the porch it's hanaud jim replied and betty rose to her feet as though a spring in her head had been released and stood swaying you have nothing to fear from hanaud jim frobisher reassured her i have shown him those two letters of Waberski. from first to last he is your friend listen this is what he said to me only yesterday in paris yesterday in paris betty asked suddenly yes i called upon him at the surete these were his words i remembered them particularly so that i could repeat them to you just as they were spoken your little client can lay her pretty head upon her pillow confident that no injustice will be done to her the bell of the front door shrilled through the house as jim finished then why is he in dijon why is he here at the door now betty asked stubbornly but that was the one question which jim must not answer he had received a confidence from hanaud he had pledged his word not to betray it for a little while longer betty must believe that waberski's accusation against her was the true reason of hanaud's presence in dijon and not merely an excuse for it hanaud acts under orders jim returned he is here because he was bidden to come and to his relief the answer sufficed in truth betty's thoughts were diverted to some problem to which he had not the key so you called upon monsieur hanaud in paris she said with a warm smile you have forgotten nothing which could help me she laid a hand upon the sill of the open window i hope that he felt all the flattery of my panic-stricken telegram to london he was simply regretful that you should have been so distressed so you showed him the telegram and he destroyed it it was my excuse for calling upon him with the letters betty sat down again on the window-seat and lifted a finger for silence outside the door voices were speaking then the door was open and the old manservant entered he carried this time no card upon a salver but he was obviously impressed and a trifle flustered mademoiselle he began and betty interrupted him all trace of anxiety had gone from her manner she was once more mistress of herself i know gaston show monsieur hanaud in at once but monsieur hanaud was already in he bowed with a pleasant ceremony to betty harlow and shook hands cordially with jim frobisher i was delighted as i came through the court mademoiselle to see that my friend here was already with you for he will have told you that i am not after all the ogre of the fairy books but you never looked up at the window once cried betty in perplexity hanaud smiled gaily mademoiselle it is in the technique of my trade never to look up at windows and yet to know what is going on behind them with your permission and he laid his hat and cane upon a big writing-table in the middle of the room End of chapter four